not coincidence that we're here. Lord, because you're the one who draws us to your side. And so, God, I pray in the name of Jesus for, the, for your hand to mightily bless and for your hand to protect us as well in this time. Speak, precious Lord, to bring glory to the Father. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together this morning? And we're starting in Genesis chapter 44, and then we'll go to uh, chapter 45, verse 15. Then Judah went up to him and said, Please, my Lord, let your servant speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. May, may my, Lord, my Lord ask his servants, Do you have a father or brother? And we answered, We have an aged father, and there is a young son, born in his old age. His, brother's, his brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me so that I can see him for myself. And we, and we said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. So now if the boy is not with us when we go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. So your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, Please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. Then Joseph could no longer control himself, and before his attendants and in, in, himself before his attendants, and he cried out, "Have everyone leave my presence!" So there was no one with Joseph when he made his when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children, and your grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and he wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. 
And afterward, his brothers talked to him. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, as we finish out this series, I don't know about you, I've, I, I've been through this series several times in ministry, and I learned something new every single time from this. And just to set stage here today, Joseph has sent, has sent the brothers back to, back to their father. And remember when he sent them back, they all had, had sacks of grain. And he said, put in the, in the sack of the youngest one my silver cup. The brothers leave and they go, they go back home. And as they're going back home, Joseph sends out his chief steward and says to him, go there and, and bring them back here. And Joseph confronts them and he says, don't you know that I could have used divination to find out which one of you had this? And he says, why did you do this? And they're indignant. They're like, we didn't do this. We didn't take anything from you. And he says, yes, you did. And they said, we're so confident of this. If you find that silver cup in any one of the, be- in any one of the sacks, we not only will become your servants, but the one who has the cup will die. And so they begin opening it up, and one after another, there's nothing in there until they finally get down to Benjamin. And they open Benjamin's sack up, and there's the cup. And what you see the brothers do next is huge. What do they do? They rent their garments. That was a sign of remorse that all the brothers did this. This is huge. Something is happening in their lives. There's been a change in their lives from what they were before. Because when Joseph, when Joseph was, the, was, the, um, was the favored son of Jacob, they wouldn't have done that to him. But now Benjamin has taken Joseph's place. And he is the one that is favored by, by Jacob. But their attitudes have changed. It's been 22 years since they sold Jacob as a slave, since they sold Joseph as a slave. And in those 22 years, there's been a change in their hearts. But the one whose heart has changed the most is Judah. It was Judah who talked about, you remember the attitudes of the brothers? What did they say in chapter 37 when we met them? Three times it says that they hated him. And each time that they say that they hated him, they grew in intensity. They couldn't even talk to him. Remember that phrase. They couldn't even talk to him. And Judah was the one who, when, when they see Joseph coming, Judah is the one who says, let's kill him. And then when they see Ishmaelite traders coming, he says, no, 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 let's not kill him. Let's sell him. And they sell him for the price of a crippled slave. 20 shekels was the price that you paid for someone who was crippled. And they sell him off, out of sight, out of mind. And yet now, has God been doing something in Judah's life? Remember, as we were going through this series... We started out with chapter 37, and it told about Jacob, Joseph's family and how it was very dysfunctional. Then we came to chapter 38, and it's almost like somebody just stuck a page in there. It didn't seem like it fit. But 38 is talking all about Judah. And at the very end, we know that Judah, there, there was a change in him. And here's where we see the change. Because Judah comes up to Joseph, and he says, Please, please, this son is so connected with the father that if, if he doesn't come back, my father will die, and I can't bear to see him do this. He says, please, let, let me take his place. Let me take his place and let the boy go home. That's the turning point. Because all along, Joseph has been testing his brothers. Will they, are they truly honest? Have they truly changed? And more importantly, will they do to Benjamin what they did to him in just leaving him there in Egypt? Who cares about their father? And Joseph, this is the turning point. And remember what it says now as we, as we look at verses 1 to 3. It says, Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. He would have said that in Egyptian. All of the servants left, and now the brothers are left there only with Joseph. And he said, 
It says, there's, um, so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. That's an interesting phrase there. Seven times, seven times in the account of Joseph, we find him weeping. I wonder if the tears weren't a part of Joseph's life. 22 years by himself. Think about his early years. He is in the house of Potiphar. He doesn't know the language. He doesn't know the culture. Where did 17-year-old boys who don't know the culture, who don't know the language, and who are despised by the people, where do they start out at? Not in the house. They start out in the, in the outside with the lowest of the lowest jobs. I wonder if there weren't times that Joseph prayed, but there weren't many, many tears with that. David says in Psalm 32, excuse me, David says in Psalm 32, 39, verse 12, he says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Be not deaf to my weeping, for I dwell with you as an alien, a stranger as all my fathers were. I wonder if the tears weren't a part of Joseph's life. And Joseph, he cries out, and he, and he cries out, and then he says to his brothers, Go back to that scripture, please. Then he said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Can you imagine what that would have sounded like? These brothers, Joseph knew immediately when they walked in and he saw them. They would have been dusty two weeks on the trail. They would have been bearded. They would have been dirty. But when Joseph saw them walk in, I wonder if his breath didn't catch for a second. When he saw them, 22 years had passed. But God had not only been doing a work in the brothers, but God had been doing a work in Joseph. And it says they were terrified. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't you, Ben? Knowing what it is that they'd done to Joseph. 22 years they've been carrying this secret around in their chest. 22 years they've been hiding this. And now Joseph confronts them and he says, I am Joseph. You think that might have scared them? Oh, I'll bet it did. But then Joseph does something that is totally unexpected. Joseph gives them what they don't deserve. Joseph gives them grace. We say in Scripture, we say in Scripture that there are people who are a type of Christ. Moses was a type of Christ. Joseph was a type of Christ. Nowhere in all of Scripture do we see it more typified than in the life of Joseph, and especially in chapter 45 of what we see Joseph doing. Because Joseph gives his brothers what they didn't deserve. Joseph gives them grace. He gives them grace. Grace is something that I don't deserve. Getting something that I don't deserve. There are times when we are tempted to say, God, you don't love me. Because God, if you truly love me, you would have done this, or God, you wouldn't have done that. But whenever we are tempted, you'll hear me say this many times over years, but whenever we are tempted to say that, God, you don't love me, God, you don't care about me, we look at the cross. Because it says at the cross, God demonstrated his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were dead in our trespasses and sin, God made us alive in Christ. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to do what? To bring us to God. God extended his grace and his mercy towards us. Grace is getting something we don't deserve. You see, because what we deserve is to spend an eternity apart from God. What we get is grace if we should choose to take it. And what God gave to his son at the cross is what I deserved, is what we deserve. Joseph gives to his brothers what they didn't deserve. He gave them grace. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of of love just as Christ loved us 
and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Joseph gives to his brothers grace. But how? How in the world is this even possible? How, how is he able to extend grace like that? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, it says, And God is able. We can't on our own extend grace and mercy and forgiveness. We can't. When we try, it will never work. It will work for maybe a little time. But God is the only one who through us can extend that grace. And it said, and God is able to make all of his grace abound in you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will what? You will abound in every good work. Is grace and the giving of grace one of those good works that God calls us to? It absolutely is. He is able to do that as well. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all I could ask or imagine, according to his power, there it is again, according to his power, am I able to extend grace and forgiveness and reconciliation in and of myself? I am not. And Joseph is not. Thinking, think about what it is that has happened to him. He has been sold by his brothers. He grew up in a home of absolute hatred. They hated him. His father doted on him, but his brothers hated him. And when they had the opportunity, they sold him. Then he goes and he moves in. He's bought by a man by the name of Potiphar. Everything goes well there until Potiphar's wife takes a shine to him. Joseph refuses to go to bed with her. And as a result, he's accused of, <coughs> of rape and he's thrown in prison. Again, everything goes well for Joseph. And one day, the chief cupbearer, the chief baker come into there. And Joseph, his heart must have skipped because here is the one man who has the ear of the Pharaoh, the chief cupbearer. And he tells him his dream. He interprets his dream. And he's thinking, any day now, any day now, this guy, I, I'm, I'm going to be released. And one year goes by. You think, okay, well, it's just been one year. And two full years go by, and he is forgotten. And in all that time, he could have been brewing up in his heart an absolute hatred and vengeance towards his brothers because it was because of them that he's here. And yet he doesn't. And yet he doesn't. How is he able? And God. And God is able to make all of his grace. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine according to his power, his power, that is at work with you. When you prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that second person of the Trinity comes to live within you. He never calls us or asks us to do anything in our own strength and power. But he does call us to do it in his strength and power. And I don't know of anything that is tougher, especially when hurt is as deep as what it can be, to extend grace and mercy to that person who's hurt us. And yet God has also done that to us as well, hasn't he? Grace is a gift that I don't deserve. Ephesians 2.89, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Grace. I don't know where, where many of you are here today. I have a hunch many of you have prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Today, just thrilling. We had baptism interviews. We interviewed people who are going to be baptized in August. Thrilling to read their testimonies of what God has done in their lives. But some of you may be here today and you have never taken that step of praying to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. That grace has been given, but it is a gift. It is a gift that you choose to receive or choose not to receive. Whenever we stand before God, one of the questions that it will be is, what did you do with my son? What did you do with the gift that I've been given? 
In the States, I don't know if it's big in, in Hong Kong or other places in the world. In the States, what's big at Christmas time or birthdays are gift cards. You know, it's like we, when, we were, when we were in Minnesota, we would get many gift cards at Christmas time. They're easy. I mean, it's like, how do you buy? I mean, I, I think about buying for my wife. Toughest person in the world to buy for. But I dare not get her a gift card. Oh, no, 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 don't do that. But for others, it's like, okay, that's easy. The guy's a guy. He likes tools. He likes sporting goods, whatever. Get him a gift card for that. Do you realize how many of those gift cards go unused? Do you really realize how much is wasted in that? Since 2005, hold on to your hats. Since 2005, $320 trillion Hong Kong dollars have gone unused in gift cards. 41 billion US dollars. 41 billion dollars. I couldn't believe it when I read it for the first time. Those are cards that are laying in the drawer that are going totally unused for free product. And you think about that gift of grace. God gives us what we don't deserve and it's there for us. And many of us, there will be many in this world who when they stand before God, that gift will go unused. That gift will go unredeemed. And it's a tragedy. It is an absolute tragedy. Do people need to hear? Are we living in a time in Hong Kong when there are many people who are walking around without hope, looking desperately for something to fill that hole? And we have that hope. We are, to call, we are called to share that hope with people as well. He gave his brothers what they didn't deserve. He gave them grace. Not only that, I'm going to skip uh, Romans 6.23. Not only that, the second slide is that he not only extended grace, but extended forgiveness as well. He gave them forgiveness. Verse 4. Verse 4 says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me. And when they had done so, when they had done so, he said, I am Joseph, your brother, the one you sold into slavery. Joseph says to his brothers, Come close to me. That's an interesting word in Hebrew. It is the, it is the idea of coming close for a hug. Think about that for a second. Joseph says, come close to me. They had been standing off at a distance. I wonder if their knees weren't knocking just a little bit. When he says, I am Joseph. And he says, come close to me. Not only does he extend to them grace, but he extends to them forgiveness as well. Come close to me. Look at what else it says in verse, uh, in verse 15. Verse 15, it says, and, and he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked to him. Do you remember the last time, one of the last things that you see in chapter 37, the interaction between the brothers and Joseph? What does it say? They hated him so much that they couldn't what? They couldn't even talk to him. And now they talk to him. I wonder what they said. Because this is one of those occasions when the Holy Spirit pulls a curtain over this scene. And we're not told what it is that, that, that they talked about. But I wonder. Okay, let, let me just wonder for a second. Don't you want to do this too? You wonder, what did they talk about? I wonder if the brothers didn't say, I'm sorry. I am sorry for what it is that I, I did to you. I'm sorry. Would you, would you forgive me? I don't know. But I also wonder if Joseph didn't say the same thing. So what? Oh, what part did Joseph? In conflict, there's always two sides. There is always two sides in conflict. And when there's conflict, conflict is always an opportunity to bring glory to God. 
Hear that well. Conflict is always an opportunity to bring glory to God. And in conflict, there are always two sides. What part did Joseph have to play? Remember, he was 17 years old. He was the loved son amongst a bunch of others that weren't loved. I wonder if he was a little insensitive at times to his brothers and to the fact that they didn't like him saying the things that he did around them. I don't know. But in conflict, in conflict, there are always two sides. And forgiveness. Forgiveness is this. For David to forgive, excuse me, for Joseph to forgive, it was a choice. Forgiveness is a choice on our, on our part. We choose to forgive. Forgiveness, and this choosing to forgive, this was something that was done over 22 years as Joseph sat in prison, as Joseph was in Potiphar's home, as Joseph was in, was in Egypt or in, in uh, Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's palace. It was a choice to forgive. Forgiveness is a choice that we make. And resolving to forgive, you, you can't forgive on your own. The same way, in the same way you can't extend grace on your own, you cannot forgive on your own. For this we need Christ. For this we really, really need Christ. He had forgiven his brothers, but not only did he forgive them, he would have forgiven Potiphar's wife. He would have forgiven the cupbearer who forgot him for, for how many years. And Joseph forgave. It says, again, He made that choice to forgive, but how in the world does he forgive? Luke chapter 23, verse 34. This is one of the seven seven phrases from the cross. But do you know which one this is? One One to seven? Anybody venture a guess? It's number one. The the scene is that Jesus is on the cross. The two thieves are on either side. It's still light. It's still light. And, the, and the, the, the soldiers are around the base of the cross. And they're gambling. They're, they're gambling for his clothes. And Jesus hears all of the things that people are saying about him. If you are the Son of God, then come down off the cross. You healed others. Why can't you heal yourself? And could Jesus have done that? Absolutely. But he says this. And this is the way that it would have been said in the, in the Greek or the Aramaic. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. He would have said it over and over and over again. Father, forgive them. Why? Because they don't know what they're doing. Are there times when people hurt us deeply and they don't realize the depth of how it is that they've hurt us? Yeah, there are. There are those times. Ephesians 4.32, we go back to that scripture again. He says that be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. Why should we forgive? Because are there times that, because some of you right now, your teeth are kind of clenched. You're saying, I love you, Pastor, but I ain't doing it. I am not, no way. You don't understand the, the depth and the length to which I have been hurt. I, I, I appreciate, you know, what, what you say up there. But that isn't happening in my life. And when we're tempted to say those things, we go back to the fact that who forgave us? We have been forgiven in Christ. As in Christ, you have been forgiven. He calls us to forgive. Forgiveness is not... Forgiveness forgiveness is not not, uh, several things. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Go to the next slide, please. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's not, if, you know, okay, if I, if I feel like forgiving, 
There are times when we're called to forgive and we may not feel like it. But here's again where we need God to help us in that. Forgiveness is not a feeling and it's, it's a choice. It is also not forgetting. Oh, I'll just, I can just forgive and forget. How's that working for you? It doesn't work, does it? Because we can't forget. If you truly haven't forgiven it and given it over to God, what happens is you wake up in the middle of the night, go use the restroom, and bang, it's right there. Whatever that person did is, is right there. Not only is it right there, but when you're driving, when you've got your arm on, you know, holding on on the MTR, it's right there all the time. And you're thinking in your heart, you know, this, I am where I am right now because he stabbed me in the back. I should have had that promotion, and he took that one away from me. I should have had her, and he ended up marrying her. He said things about me. He did things. I should have had this, or this should have happened in my life. And we think about those things. And we think about, how am I going to get back at that person? Forgiveness is not forgetting. But what forgiveness is, there's four things here. I don't have these up here. But forgiveness is four things. It is a conscious effort on my part that I won't dwell on it. It's a conscious effort on my part that I won't dwell on it. I give it over to the Lord. And many times it is, sometimes, especially in the early stages, it is every day, it can be every half hour, whenever that comes up, say, God, I gave this over to you. I'm not going to carry this. I'm not going to allow this to ruin my life. Because will unforgiveness ruin your life? Count on it. Count on it. And when I choose to, when I choose to, for, uh, to forgive, it is not forgetting. Rather, it is making a conscious effort that I will not dwell on it. Also, it is, not, it is making a decision to not talk to people about it. To not talk with people. Okay, I'm going to, Stuart, I'm going to just put you on the spot here for a second. Say, I got a problem here with Stuart. And, and, and instead of dealing with it in the right way, I talked to Richard about it. I got a problem over here with Stuart, but I'm talking to Richard about it over here. That's the absolute wrong thing to do. If you are struggling with somebody, if there's conflict with somebody in your life, the last thing you need to do and what Scripture does not call you to do is to take it to somebody else. Well, I don't know if I could really talk with that person. But God is able to make all grace abound in you. We can. Forgiveness is a choice. But forgiveness is also choosing not to dwell in it and not choosing to talk about it. Because when I have a problem with, with Stuart and I talk with Richard about it, you know who ends up getting really hurt? It's not Stuart and I. It's Richard. When you triangulate in a, in a, in a conflict... The person that you triangulate with is the one who's going to be hurt deeply. I choose not to dwell on it. I choose not to talk with others about it. I choose not to bring it up again. Not to bring it up with that person. A pastor was talking about a, a couple that he was um, doing marital counseling with. And she sa- the wife said to the, <clears throat> said to the pastor, she said, whenever my husband and I have, have a, an argument, he gets historical. And he said, you mean hysterical. No, she said, I mean historical. He always brings up all the stuff of the past. When you choose to forgive, you choose not to dwell on it. You choose not to talk to others about it. But you also choose not to bring it up to that person and to keep bringing it up. And the last thing, okay, so what are we, where are we at? I choose not to what? What's the first one? Oh, don't make me go over this again. I choose not to dwell on it. The second thing? I choose not to talk to others. The third thing, I choose not to bring it up. I choose not to bring up those things. And the last one, 
is I choose not to allow this to hamper a further relationship with the person. Ooh, things just got hard, really hard. Okay, okay, guys. I can, okay, all right, I'll extend grace. I'll extend forgiveness even. But don't expect me to open up and have a relationship with that person. Oh, no, you don't. The problem is that God has something to say about that. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, it says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar, first go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. See, Joseph, what he does, I mean, he tells the brothers, go back. Go, go, go back and get dad. Get, go back and get your kids. Go back and get the wives, the flocks, the sheep, everything. Bring them back. He said, I want you to live close to me. What was Joseph saying? He said, I want you to be part of my life. I want you to be part of, part of my life. Joseph was not only, not only extended grace and forgiveness, but he was willing to reconcile the relationship. You see, God not only calls us to, be, to forgive and to extend grace, but there are also relationships that need to be reconciled. Now, let me put a parenthesis around this for a second. We talked about this a lot last night, community group. There are those relationships, though, where there's been a deep level of hurt, and things have happened that there needs to be, there needs to be caution. You want to set some boundaries. There are individuals that if you don't set boundaries, they're going to hurt you all over again. But there are other, there are other people that we can reconcile with but we're choosing not to. I mean, we're just stubborn enough, we're just hard enough that I don't want to do that. And yet we go back to it and say this. So what if God forgave you in the way that you're wanting to forgive this person? Okay. Okay, Mark, I forgive you, but I don't have a relationship with you anymore. Ooh. How does that, how does that make you feel? Would you wonder then, okay, has he truly forgiven me? I would wonder that. And Joseph reconciles. He reconciles with his brothers. And God calls us in this Matthew passage. Uh, go back to that Matthew passage for a second. In that Matthew passage, see, Scripture doesn't give us any wiggle room. It says, if, if, you, know, if you have offended somebody, you are to go to that, okay, we are to go to that person and ask for their forgiveness. But here's the other side of it. It says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother is something against you. Oh, oh, oh yes, So that means if, if I know that somebody has something against me, then, then I'm to... I'm to what is, is it, if he's got the thing against me, why doesn't he come to me? Because some people won't. And because maybe you're farther along in your maturity in Christ than that other person is. And God calls you to do what? To go to that person. Tough? Oh my goodness, is that tough. But he says, go to the altar, and, or leave your gift at the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Because there are some people that when they, when, if, if you're expecting them to come to you, when, when, when they know that, they're, that they have an offense with you, you can wait till the cows come home, and they're never going to come to you. They, they just won't. That's why God says, if you are more spiritually mature, you go. Because he values, he values relationship, doesn't he? He values relationship, and nothing in the church <clears throat> destroys relate. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> nothing in the church destroys relationships faster than gossip. Nothing. 
I've been doing this almost 32 years now. It is 32 years. After July, 32 years now they've been doing this. And in, in four churches I've seen that nothing hurts a church worse than gossip. Right up there with gossip is conflict that's not, that's not dealt with. There are churches that I've walked into where uh, we candidated a church once in the northeast part of the United States. And when we walked in there, it was like you could cut the tension with a knife. There were people on this side, and there were people on this side. You could tell, this group didn't get along with this, person, this group. And we're in the church. It's not out in the world. It's in the church. And I think nothing distresses the heart of God more than when God's people don't get along with one another. We have the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit. We have Christ living within us. And we're called to live as one. He says, make every effort to maintain the unity of the body. So when that person comes to you and they are squawking about somebody else, they're gossiping about somebody else, what is my role to be? My role is to take that person and say, hey, brother, sister, I love you, but I also love the church. And I love the bride of Christ. Let me go with you. Let me go with you when you talk to this person about what it is you're complaining about here. That many times silences them. But it also says what? I'm not going to destroy this church. I'm not going to destroy this body of believers. Conflict. Conflict is something that we can leave undone. It's also something that can bring glory to God when we deal with it in a proper way. And when we deal with it in a proper way, we say to that person, um, Becca, I'm going to call you on the spot here. You did a good job yesterday. I, I'm going to ask you to do something here for me, sweetie. Would you, would you explain to them, Becca and I have done a lot of peacemaking together. And I love you. Oh. Would you explain to them? You want to talk when... about conflict? <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, there, there's a phrase that helps when you're doing the conflict. Um, it's it, things that I like to, that help to soften when you go to talk to that person and it's when you and then fill in the blank and for whatever when you I feel because so when you whatever that hurt me I feel and a lot of times I like to stop and just think about my motivation and why it makes me so upset, you know. Um, am I upset because my pride was injured, which is usually the number one reason that there's conflict is because somebody said something that really attacked my pride. And and then if that happens, then I use, try to let it go. Times I'll say, I'll, if I go to a person, I'll like to say, when you, I feel because I thought only a couple minutes you were going to talk. <laughs> that, that really helps. It really helps when you're talking with somebody about, about something that has happened. It really does. And one of the things I would, I would call this as your pastor, as your shepherd, that we care about the body of Christ. And if there is conflict, there, if there is conflict, I mean, Joseph, we look at his life, and there was conflict, and for 22 years... It was hanging out there. You know, I don't know that Joseph ever thought that he was going to see his brothers. I know he had the dreams, but it isn't until he sees his brothers that he remembers those dreams. Those, were, those dreams. And yet God was behind the scenes working in this to bring about what? Reconciliation and healing. 
Is there someone you have conflict with here today? You've been coming to the church for a while and you know that um, I don't like to be around that person. I don't want to talk to that person because they did something to me. They said something to me. What does Scripture call us to do? Scripture calls us to go to that person. And those words that Becca shared with us, those are really good in helping you and helping you to resolve conflict. How is Joseph able to do this? Oh, my goodness. Because what he, what he does, we, we think, well, that, that's good for Joseph. But what God is laying out here is what he also calls us to do. But how is Joseph able to do this? Joseph is able to forgive. He's able to extend grace. He's able to uh, seek reconciliation in his family. Why? Because behind it all, Joseph sees what? He sees the hand of God. Listen to what he says. Listen to what he says in verse 7 and verse 5, verse 7 and verse 8. Let me just read, starting with verse 5. And he says to his brothers, Now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been famine in the land, and the next five there will not be plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then it was not you that sent me here, but God. How many times has that come up already? It's three already. He made me father of Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him this. This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all in Egypt. Come down to me and don't delay. And then Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 as well. You intended to harm me. This is the end. The end of Jacob, their father has died, and now the brothers think, oh, now that father is dead, now Joseph's going to come back to us. And Joseph said, no, you don't understand. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done, the saving of many lives. The reason that Joseph is able to do this, the reason that any of us are able to do this, is because we see God's hand behind it. Romans 8.28, sometimes we hear it said this way, God works for the good in all things. That is not the way it's written. It said, for, the, for we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who are those who are called those who are called who's been called according to his purposes for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purposes. All things do not work together for good because not all things are good, but in all things God can work for the good. In all things, those things that have happened to you, can God take those things and use them for his glory? He absolutely can. In 1984 I went to the Philippines and we were um, on uh, we were on the island of Negros, and we was in Bacolod, and I was sent out to uh, the barrio to be with the pastor for uh, about a week. And so we went to his house, and when it came time to sleep that night, the pastor gave me his bed, and it was just a bamboo slats with a, with a sheet over it. And so then at night, then they pulled the mosquito net down on me, and I thought, well, I was, I was young back then, and didn't know a whole lot, so it didn't really bother me. I tried going to sleep, it was hot, and underneath the bed... There was a dog who slept. So every time the pig grunted outside, the dog would bark right underneath me. It's like, I'm not getting any sleep because this dog's always barking. And then it was, once I did finally start getting to sleep, then I could feel something on my side. The dog was trying to get in bed with me. It's like, get out of the bed. And as soon as he got out of there, I was like, I had fleas all over me from this dog. And you think, how can you be thankful for fleas? Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy Ten Boom were, were, um, were arrested for helping out Jewish people in Holland during World War II. And they were sent to Ravensbrück, 
um, concentration camp. Terrible. Terrible the things that, that happened to the Jews, to the gypsies, and to others. And while they were there, they had a Bible study in their, in their barracks. And they came across the verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, which says, Give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And Corey said to her sister Betsy, Betsy, we need to thank God for everything in this barracks. And she said, everything? And she said, yes, everything. The barracks was just filled with fleas. And she said, I cannot thank God for these fleas. And she said, we must thank God for the fleas. She said, because do you realize because of the fleas that the prison guards will not come in here? Because there's so many fleas in here, the prison guards will not come in here and assault us. Because there's so many fleas in here, we are able to have Bible study uninhibited. We're able to even have church service in here because of the fleas. Corey Ten Boom saw the hand of God even behind that. And when we can see the hand of God behind what it is that goes on in our lives, we are then able to forgive. We are then able to extend grace. We are then able to seek reconciliation. As we come to the close of this series on Joseph, I think this is a huge one. You know, as I, as I began this series, oh, what, six, seven weeks ago, we talked about how people look at the, at the life of Joseph in different ways. In North America, when you look at the, at the story of Joseph, it's about, it's about redemption. It's about redemption. Whereas when they talk to people from Asia and Africa especially, it's a story about family. It's a story about family and the restoration of a family. And I really see that in, that in this, that it is restoration and healing of a family. Think about that. Did Jacob learn some things about God when he finally had to give up being selfish with, with his children? He did. Did Judah learn something about God and about himself? Did the brothers learn something about themselves? Did Joseph? He did. Was his family reconciled? They were and what happened as a result of it? I mean, as a result of it, we have Christ. Because it's through the line of Judah that Christ comes. And as we finish up with this, I think it screams the fact of, is there forgiveness in our families? Is there grace being extended? Is there reconciliation that's being sought? And I think about our personal families, our extended families. Some of you here, you have large extended families. Is there conflict there? Probably. Are you as a Christ follower called to make steps toward bringing that healing and restoration? And I think about us as a church family. God brings us together from all over the world, India, from Africa, from from North America, from Canada, South Africa, from uh, New Zealand, from Australia, uh, from the UK. I know I'm forgetting some place here. But he brings us together from all over the world here. And he puts us together. And are there going to be times when we don't get along, when we don't see eye to eye? And sometimes, uh, Philippines, my goodness, how do I forget the Philippines? Are there times when we are going to offend one another? We are. But how do we deal with that? We don't continue to let it fester. But because we love one another, we deal with it and bring glory and honor to God. Amen? Amen. Love you guys. Love you guys. Father, thank you for the word today. And thank you for this series on Joseph. <clears throat> God, I love the way in which it turns out. But the way in which it turned out was 22 years in the, in the making. 22 years of, of quiet. 22 years when, when there were tears that went down Joseph's face. 22 years 
where Judah had opportunity to think about what it is that he did. 22 years in which you were working on the heart of Jacob and in the hearts of these brothers. And God, we know that in all things, you work for the good for those who you love, who you love you and who are called according to your purposes. And God, for some of us in this room, we have been hurt deeply. And God, you knew, you knew what happened, you know what, you know what happens to us, has happened to us. And God, you are the one that can bring healing in relationships. And for some today, we've been brought face to face with a need to bring healing and reconciliation in a relationship. There's siblings we haven't talked to in years. There's a father that has long gone, but we have never forgiven him for what he did. There are others that we've worked with that have stolen from us, that have hurt us, that have uh, gotten a promotion that should have been ours. And we've carried that, that angst around in our heart for years. And today, God, you are saying to us, would you allow me to help you to let that go? And God, sometimes we don't want to let it go because we've invested so many years of hatred and anger towards that person. And we don't think that, that they deserve that. God, neither did we deserve your grace and your mercy towards us. Father, help us, please. You said in your word you would make all your grace abound in us. You said in your word that you were able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. You said in your word that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God, we desperately need you. We desperately need you. And Lord, I pray that you would guard this, this fellowship, this congregation. We've come from, all, from many, many nations here to be around your word. And Lord, the enemy would love nothing more than to bring about dissension and strife and disunity. And Lord, I pray that you'd protect your bride. And I pray that, God, we would be people, people who keep short accounts. God, may they know that we are your disciples because we have love one for another. Lord, I pray the precious hand of Christ upon each one, upon each relationship, and upon each relationship that is seeking to be healed. And I pray this now, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now may the grace and the peace and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, which resides in you, may that be that which you rely on and go into in this week. And may the peace of God and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be yours in a very precious way. And we again pray for the peace of Hong Kong as well. In Jesus' name, amen.